Well, welcome back, everybody. As we finish up the season with our wrap-up show, I want to thank the panel, Gary Vitaco Robles, who is the author of Icon, Lifetimes, and Films of Marilyn Monroe, as well as Donald McGovern and April Chambers. And I'd also like to just have a special shout out and thank you to Donald McGovern for spending the time really breaking down for us what is a fact, probable theory, and outlandish rumor as it deals with the Netflix documentary, The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe. But now what I'd like to do is bring in my fellow investigative producer, Randall Libero, who's been with me since the beginning. Randall, how are you? I'm great. Hi, everybody. Well, the good news is, is that we're going to spend some time wrapping up some of the things that we covered as it interconnects with the dramatic episode. So you can go back and listen to the dramatic episodes to give you a clear indication of how the pieces all fall together. And we have six decades that we broke down for you. So it's a complicated story. And most people want to talk about it as if it's just the simple story that she was murdered and it was the Kennedys. Marilyn Monroe is a complex human being, just like all of us, but even more so because so many rumors and lies have been told about the star. So with that said, Randall, the first episodes were about Mark Shaw and his book, and this starts to set the stage for the audience to open up their minds to be able to listen for what is a fact, probable theory, and outlandish rumor. But explain how we set up the rumor mill and why this is important to the investigation. Well, we wanted to look at what are the facts and what is the truth. And in doing so, we brought together our panel of experts and we framed the special investigation series of these 21 episodes for you to understand what has been happening with the media, biographers, journalists, and so forth, who have been expanding and growing this Marilyn Monroe murdered industry for a very, very long time. And from our experience in doing the dramatic series and really learning about Marilyn's life and the people around her, we began to realize that this 60-year story had a lot of holes in it. So we brought our experts together and we wanted to tell a story that has a beginning with Marilyn's death all the way up to the present time and biographers and documentaries that are being done today and basically pull it apart for you. If you start with episode one, then you can understand how the story begins, how it tracks. But then we also, in each episode, we explore what are the facts around each of these conspiracy theories or rumors or whatever. Are there any facts within them or are they based on a fact that became a crazy rumor? So if you begin at the beginning, one of the individuals who was very, very central to this rumor mill being started, episode four, which is the birth of the rumor mill, and it talks about a man named Frank Appel. And we keep coming back to Frank Appel throughout the series. So I'd like to highlight some of the things that I didn't know about that stood out for me in our series as we did these programs. And in episode four, Donald mentioned about this man named William Sullivan. So William Sullivan was the FBI deputy director under J. Edgar Hoover, okay? And he wrote a memoir that was published after his death that talked about Capel and actually said Capel was a radical right-winger extremist who was constantly spinning false tales. 
And Sullivan pointed out that Hoover tried to catch Bobby Kennedy in indiscretions, but he never did. Because, as Donald said, Bobby Kennedy was primarily a Puritan. I would say he was more what we would call today as a clean living family man. I mean, he had kids and a wife, which he adored, and so on and so forth. So Hoover was always out to get the Kennedys, because if you know anything about Jagger Hoover's life, there's movies about him, there's biographies about him. And it was very well known that Hoover kept a, let's just say, a blackmail list of people who he wanted to expose and find something nefarious about them. So Bobby Kennedy was on that list. Hoover was also notified by Frank Capel about his pamphlet about this whole beginning of the Kennedys that were involved in Marilyn's death. And so Hoover sent Bobby Kennedy a letter warning him about this pamphlet and that it was going to be published and basically spelled out the things that were going on between Bobby Kennedy and Marilyn, supposedly. Well, Kennedy totally denied it and wrote back that it was all gossip and the gossip mongers and people like that can't be stopped. They're going to do it. and There's no way to stop them. So Hoover knew about this pamphlet and knew about Frank Capel. What else could he have possibly done with that information? For people that are really trying to understand the Maryland story, you've got to go back and understand the sign of the times and the rumors that led up to this story becoming the foundation of how we look at Marilyn Monroe, specifically this year with the mystery of Marilyn Monroe, the documentary. And so when you start to look at that and then you put in Robert Slatzer and Norman Mailer, Robert Slatzer would be known today as a stalker to any other celebrity. And he's responsible, probably single-handedly, of bringing this out to more of the masses because he had an ABC special, The Maryland Files, based on all of this stuff, this actual rumor. So Jack Clemens was a policeman on the scene of Maryland's death, and he knew and was friends with Frank Appel, and Frank Appel was friends with Robert Slatzer. And so all of this stuff comes together, as you can see, the birth of this rumor mill, which we covered. So go back and listen to those episodes and see all the connections that were made that really got, it's like a snowball going down a hill. You really have to look at it that way, you know, metaphorically. And the other thing that's going to blow people's minds away, if you're listening to this episode and haven't gone back, highly recommend that you do. Up until recently, I always thought that Bobby Kennedy was in Los Angeles. I have now changed my mind. And the reason being is if I put it in those three buckets, what is a fact, probable theory, outlandish rumor, everything that I've heard about Bobby Kennedy is all rumor, all rumor. There is not one fact that supports the two of them having an affair. However, there is a fact, nine pictures that show Bobby Kennedy clearly in San Jose with no ability to be in Los Angeles at the same time, at least not during the day. And I say that because then if you say he's in Los Angeles in the middle of the night, she's already gone. So why would he be there? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, we covered that in one of our episodes, so you can go and get yep. all that information. And that's also on Donald McGovern's website with, and you can actually see the pictures. And that is Marilyn from the 22ndrow.com. He's got a lot of blogs on there, not only about the Bobby Kennedy story, but also around Mark Shaw's book and some of other media that is out there that you want to see these details. Because if Randall and I took just 
Donald's blog <laughs> or Gary's book. We right. could be here for hours and hours and hours, hours and just hours. talking about this. Well, yeah, well, we've got 20 hours or so of material that people can listen to and whatever subject that you're interested in. So remember, we have three series on our BehindTheIcon.com website. We have the dramatic series, we have the special investigation series, and we have Norma Jean Discovering Truths, which is a conversation breakdown between Nina, Gary, and myself about each of the dramatic episodes. But I want to come back to our episodes. Once we covered the birth of the rumor mill, then we went to looking at what was going on with Marilyn herself and her personal life. And also, as we've explored in our dramatic series about her mental illness. So in our episode one of our dramatic series, Marilyn had a psychiatrist at that time, Dr. Marianne Chris. And Dr. Chris was the psychiatrist who recommended that Marilyn start taking some barbiturates to help her in terms of her mental illness. And then Chris was also instrumental in connecting Marilyn to Dr. Ralph Greenson. That's our dramatic series, episode three. You'll experience the first meeting between Marilyn and Dr. Greenson and what that conversation was. So all these things that we've done in our series, if you go back and check all those episodes out, you'll start to put together the very complex puzzle of Marilyn's life and what was going on. And once you start to know what the facts are, the conspiracy theories and the rumors start to evaporate. So we spent a number of episodes talking about Marilyn's doctors, Dr. Greenson and Dr. Engelberg. And if you listen to the dramatic series, episode eight, we go into a lot of detail about that. And we know about that Marilyn was taking chlorohydrate and Nembutal and Dr. Engelberg has denied, but we have a written prescription from him that he did prescribe chlorohydrate. You know, it's very obvious with all the medication that she was given that they were not paying attention to what they were giving her. They were just giving it to her because if you look at those prescriptions, who in their right mind is prescribing all those? Even at, back in that day, even Dr. Reef said that there's no way that she should have been prescribed all those medications, even back in 1962 standards. There's something that I was just talking to Gary a couple of weeks ago, and he has a new book coming out. It should be out probably in December, if not early January, about the death of Marilyn Monroe. And Gary, like you and I, also like to really celebrate her life because there's so much about her. But when you're dealing with her death, there's a lot of complexities. And Tuanol, which is another drug that was prescribed to Marilyn three months before she died, may have been given to her on Thursday, August 3rd. And that drug is a drug that gets people that are depressed out of depression. When we talk about Marilyn's medications, we talk about her mental health. She was diagnosed as bipolar with symptoms of borderline personality, as well as a depressive disorder that could put her into what they call a mixed episode. So if you're giving a drug that is a stimulant to a person with borderline or bipolar, that could throw them into that mixed episode. Mixed episodes, especially if somebody has tried to commit suicide prior, is likely to have an instantaneous, I want to die. So the chances of Marilyn actually being put in that state, and you and I were talking about this even prior to the show, she wasn't eating, right? Right. She had all these medications. She hadn't slept. 
And so when you have that kind of, and the amount that she had going into her system, nobody would actually be thinking straight, right, Randall? That's right. And another point that Gary made in uh, early July, 1962, Dr. Engelberg prescribed dexedrine to Marilyn, which is a stimulant drug. So she's got two stimulants in her body and she's got nebutol and chloral hydrate. And in episode 18, Dr. Reef Kareem noted that both nebutol and chloral hydrate both have a long half-life. So what is a half-life of a drug? The half-life of a drug is the time it takes for the amount of a drug's active substance in your body to reduce by half. This depends on how the body processes and gets rid of the drug. It can vary from a few hours to a few days. So Gary mentioned, and you mentioned, the tuinol and the dexedrine, which are stimulants, and all of these drugs, the nebutol and the chlorohydrate, but especially those two stimulants, they're affecting the respiratory system first. So the heart failure comes after the respiratory system is affected. That's what Dr. Kareem said. So she's got these four medications floating around in her bloodstream. She's, as you said, sleep deprived, hasn't eaten. So if that's not a formula for something to happen, I don't know what is. The other thing I want to mention, Randall, and I think this is important because we're living in very challenging times. And I think that mental illness addiction is at all time high, whether you're a celebrity or not. And right. I, you and I were talking last week, I spoke at the People's Opiate Summit. And I think it's really important because Marilyn, particularly this year in the media, got slaughtered in terms of these rumors. I think both you and I and Gary particularly and all the panel experts throughout the years all have a love and honor Marilyn. And I think we have to go back to the fact that she's a human being. And one of the things that I said at the summit that I thought was really important is yes, Marilyn's life did end in a tragedy, but her legacy doesn't have to. And if there is one person that we can help that listens to her story and realizes that this star, this icon overcame so much in her life to still be remembered 60 years later, that wasn't by fluke. That is somebody that is hugely courageous, resilient, and the ability to stand up and be a strong, true human being and the ability that even though she created this character named Marilyn Monroe, she also showed a vulnerability and authenticness that people to this day can relate to. One of the things that came out in our series, this was something that jumped out to me that Donald said, and this is in episode 20. This is according to the author Donald Spoto. About during the filming of The Misfits, John Houston amassed a $50,000 gambling debt, which would be about $500,000 today, which he couldn't pay. So he asked Marilyn's doctors to hospitalize her. So he got the doctors to put her in the hospital. He influenced them. And then Frank Taylor, the producer, convened a meeting to say that Marilyn had a nervous breakdown. So Arthur Miller and Marilyn's stand-in, Evelyn Moriarty, both knew this wasn't true and that Taylor was covering for Houston's gambling and drinking and wastefulness on the production of the film as well. 
So that's an example that obviously made the press that Marilyn had a nervous breakdown during the filming. And that was because the Miller kept changing the script and they had rewrites every day. And, and then the endless takes that Houston did. And Donald mentions all this in episode 20. You can hear the whole explanation of it. But there's an example of Marilyn taking the brunt for somebody else's faults. I mean, this, these are things that went on during her life that people, they don't focus on. Right and on. the other thing I want to mention in that we talked about in not only the the investigation series, but the dramatic episodes, and you really get a sense of who Marilyn was in the dramatic. And because of the 60th anniversary, you hear these things out in the media and one rumor that's out there about Marilyn being raped, I want to say something because in our dramatic episode, you have two instances where Marilyn Monroe stood up to the studio heads. And this is a fact. She walked away from her Fox contract and moved to New York City. She stood up to Daryl Zanuck at Fox and said, look, you know what? You can't tell me who my friends are whether they are black, white, green, et cetera. And she stood up for civil rights. The other thing she did is people think that she just slept her way to the top. She stood up to Harry Cohn at Columbia and wouldn't sleep with him. So let's balance the story out here. Let's make the next five years. And when we start talking about Marilyn again, and she gets very much in the media in this next year, to talk about the things that are truthful. I don't know about you, Randall, but I think it's about time that we get to the truth instead of this rumor mill, this Maryland murder machine that is just based on outright lies. I'm not even going to say that they're rumors. They're just outright lies. At this right. And so I think even listening to the dramatic episodes, you'll get a chance to witness for yourself what it would have been like to be Marilyn Monroe. And I just want to have a big shout out to Aaron Gavin, who plays our Marilyn Monroe. She's a fantastic Marilyn and has the she sure is. too. So, Well, I also want to come back to something that Gary said as regarding all these outlandish theories surrounding her death. They portray Marilyn in such a light that is completely unfamiliar to those who knew and loved her. I think that's an important point. You mentioned about celebrating her life. I hope from this point forward, that will always be more at the forefront for the fans. And examining her death is more for all the people who like a good story and they want some kind of exciting fairy tale. Not fairy, a fairy tale. tale. Like it's, a, more like, like a fairy. it's more like a nightmare. Right. So she was not a needy, clingy, delusional woman who was murdered because she knew too much. She was a strong, tough, remarkable woman who was tragically gone from this world too soon. And when she was alive, she constantly yearned for respect. And in death, unfortunately, she has not been granted it. And also, just to understand this, that she accomplished so much with an acute mental illness and addiction. And that says a lot for somebody to reach that stardom without completely imploding. After a while, yes, she did. But you know what? She made it to 36 years old. And I don't know about you, Randall, but there's a lot of people that are 96 that haven't accomplished what she accomplished, given yes. what she came from. So yes. is there any last things that you'd like to say in terms of these episodes in the wrap up of this season? Well, I want to go back to the very, very beginning, which is like 2014. And when I first read Gary Vitaka Robles' book, Cursum Perficio, like many Maryland fans, we fantasize, you know, what could have been in her life. And I would call this a kind of a strange obsession. 
it's something that I never expected to be living with. And in my mind, I thought I was the only person who behaved like this. My wife would actually make fun of me about it. Uh, originally, I was kind of embarrassed about it. And I only take comfort in the state of mind by knowing that there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who behave like this. And I think it's something about Maryland that touches us. And I kind of translate that, this is just me, that she's sort of, she's a connection to the lost and unfulfilled parts of ourselves. And well, that's um, a really good way of saying that. I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's kind of what works for me and what makes sense to me because she was, you know, a motherless and fatherless child. And I say that because she never had a stable family or home life in her younger years. And one of the nice things in the book that Gary wrote about was things that Marilyn was planning to do. She wanted to travel overseas, go to Europe and Africa, maybe doing more performing for military servicemen like she did in Korea, or maybe like an ambassador like Shirley Temple or Audrey Hepburn was, and just, you know, sharing her love and light wherever she went all over the world. And and I think that's a wonderful way to think about Marilyn is what she could have been. She was a resilient survivor of complex, you know, childhood trauma and intergenerational mental illness. And one of the things that Gary says in episode one, he says, one cannot accurately tell the story of Monroe's remarkable life or understand her early death without the context of her surviving a childhood marked by sexual abuse and neglect and without acknowledging her challenge of battling serious mental illness and addiction. And I hope that all of you out there take the time to not only listen to this investigative series, if you're interested, but also to go back and really listen to the dramatic episodes. I think you'll find a new appreciation for Marilyn that maybe increases the feelings that you have for her. And I would say that Marilyn's life also causes us to view our own lives from kind of a 10,000 foot level and see the role that maybe not drug addiction, but any kind of addiction that has played in our lives and the lives of those around us. The amazing thing about Marilyn is that she never gave up and she was continuously resilient, seeking how to move beyond the suffering she survived and become truly whole and free. So we want to thank you, the fans, because you've made this second podcast, especially this investigation series, one of the biggest and best podcasts that is out there for Marilyn Monroe. And we couldn't do it without you. Please share it with your friends if they haven't heard about it, because the Marilyn story needs to get out there. But the truth of Marilyn Monroe, 60 years later, her story still speaks to us, but many don't really know her at all. She survived a tragic childhood to become the most famous woman in the world. She was a storyteller, a poet, a singer, an actress, an advocate for civil rights ahead of her time, a woman with deep feelings who struggled with mental health and addiction issues. She is still loved, adored, and emulated. And yet there are still so many misconceptions, rumors, lies, half-truths, and are still believed by many because they still don't know the real woman inside. The woman, the actress, the icon, we all know as Marilyn Monroe. For Behind the Icon Special Investigation Series, I'm Nina Bosky. And I'm Randall Libero. And let's hold a good thought for Marilyn and her legacy 
Let's hold a good thought for families and loved ones who are facing mental health and addiction issues. And let's hold a good thought for yourself and let's hold a good thought for our world.